0: We've been in a series, this is going to be our fourth and final uh, sermon uh, entitled The Difference Maker, and this week we're going to be uh, talking about the power of if moments, the power of if moments. Last week we learned about the scoreboard of life, what it teaches us. One is that we have a home team, the second is that we have an enemy, an opponent, and the third thing is, is that there's a clock and time is running out. And we talked about how we, in in 2 Corinthians, we we have to be aware of the enemy's devices or the opponent's tricks in our life. And we talked about the know-how to win and how oftentimes many Christians and many believers don't even know the authority that they walk in. Uh, We shared from scriptures like Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, and this is what it reads. We don't have it on, on the PowerPoint just quite yet, but just this is what it reads. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse number 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. That we are, we are wrestling, again, not with people. We are wrestling against forces that have been seated against the heavenly places, in heavenly places, strongholds that are trying to take you out. Look to your neighbor and say, you have an opponent. You have an opponent. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, tells us this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he who worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. I want you to catch what's happening here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, the spiritual forces of evil that are in heavenly places, but my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that above the powers that are represented in heavenly places, there is a person who is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's why when you say the name of Jesus, enemies begin to tremble. You got to try. It's like Lion King, Mufasa, right? Just say Jesus one time, Jesus. Devils start to 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 tremble at the name that is that is above every name, verse number twenty two, and He put all things, not just not just not just the things that you you know you, you understand, but He put all things, all things, all. Like like you guys realize what the meaning of all is, all things that are underneath His feet. You ready for this one? and gave him as head over all things to the what? To the church, which is his body. So I want you to raise your right hand with me and say, and your pointy finger, take your pointy finger, and I want you to point at you, point at me. Say, I am the church. I am the church. Am the church. Am the church. So he gave us the authority over all things. That's what, are we reading scripture here this morning, or are we just, it's, it's, it's scripture. Here's what Colossians two thirteen through 15 says. And you... Me who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our, all of our trespasses. Ready for this one? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal's demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse fifteen he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame. So not only is he seated above the evil principalities and powers and the atmosphere that we face, not only did he give us authority over them, the Bible says in Colossians that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's why when Scripture says that we have a thief that Rome's about like a lion seeking who may devour. He's like it. He's not a lion. So he might scream loud, and he might act loud, and he might act tough and intimidating, but we have to know that the enemy has no more authority over us than that which we give over him. Right. Powerful. Here's what Colossians 1 and 13 says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of, Of his beloved son. So we have been transferred, but most of us live as though the enemy still holds the deeds and debt to our life. So if we are if we are in Christ, we are free. We are free of the control of the power of the enemy over our lives. I like what Ephesians chapter 4 says. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Verse number 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. In other words, it was no small task or it was very easy for the God who created the universe that gave us his son Jesus to die on the cross. And It was no small feat for him to put all things underneath his feet. And if we are married with Christ, We have the authority over all things. So it's the know-how to win. You have the knowledge now over the last week and a half in sermons and messages and scriptures to know that you have what it takes, the same power that if you're a believer in Christ, the same power that is in you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You have not only the know-how to win, you ready for this one? You have the right to win. God has given you the ability to win, not, not just sort of win, not just maybe hopefully three out of four kids win, not just maybe like your your spouse and you have a sort of good marriage, or, or maybe you and your boss have an okay relationship, or, or you're not just having power to do most things in Christ. My word, my Bible, my scripture says that you now have authority over all things. And to get in agreement with the things that are found in this word, not with the experiences, listen to me, not with the experiences of your life, or the thing that your flesh wants and desires. We are people of the Spirit. We have the ability to now not be just transferred from the domain of darkness one day, but now to live in victory today. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says it like this, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I, this last month, have wanted to talk to you about the difference makers that A, are the presence of God, B, the word of God, and revival happens in the convergence of the presence of God and the word of God being activated in a believer's life. Most people want revival, but they don't want the convergence. Pastor, just give us the word, and we're not gonna activate it in our life. We're just gonna, we're gonna listen to it out in the ethos, and we're gonna try to understand it, but we're never gonna apply it to our life. It's the applied word of God in our life that makes a difference over the enemies. And then it's not just the applied word of God, it's the fact that we, listen to me, we have the ability to walk hand in hand with a friend, the presence of God, and it's those, those, those two things come in convergence together that revival happens. It's the, it's the applied word of God and it's the tangible presence of God. How many want to live in an environment like that? That's, that's the kind of Christian walk that I want to have. I want to have the Christian walk where people not only so listen. It goes beyond a feeling. So many people go, well, Pastor, what's the what, what's the Holy Spirit going to feel like? What what are we going to feel when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? And we use this words this word as humans as though we base our our convictions and beliefs by what we feel. We don't base our convictions and belief by what we feel. We base them by what we know. And what we know is found in the word of God. There is a deep knowing that you can have in the presence of God. There there is beyond a shadow of a doubt when you get next to your heavenly father in his presence, there is a deep knowing. So most Americans, I wrote down here, love a good origin story. I want you to know I will be the first to admit my generation was not very creative. Let me give you an explanation why. It's funny, the movies that have been made popular over the last 20 years are basically recreations of what happened in the golden era of comics. Ra- raise your head if you ever heard of a man named Superman. <laughs> Captain America. We-, we have adopted them in our generation as though we created them. We had nothing to do with those. We just basically had the techno- technological savvy to be able to put those comics into movies. But really there was this creative thing that happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s, correct? Marvel Comics and DC and the battle between you know, the X-Men. And there was this, we love in America a good origin story. We uh, had the privilege of going to the movies um, on Thanksgiving and I say the privilege of going to the movies, we hadn't been in, in a minute and we went to the Hunger Games prequel or origin story about how, uh, is it Dr. Snow or whatever his, his name is. How many went to the Hunger Games movie? I got four of you. Good. The rest of you guys, it was not a good Thanksgiving movie. It was an origin story about a villain. And you walked out of the theater going, man, I am depressed. This is how an evil man became an evil man. And so we were sitting there, and it was like the, the movie ended, and there was this feeling like, oh, this is horrible. It's like not a good Thanksgiving movie. Those of you that watch it know exactly what was happening. But it was really an origin story of the Hunger Games prequel about how the villain became the villain. We, we love a good origin story, correct, America? Uh, if you want to know the origin story of how Satan and Lucifer ended up being put into the heavenlies, look no further than Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. And I'm going to read it. Again, it's not on the screen, but I want you to pay attention. Here's what Isaiah saw in a vision that he wrote down. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will send to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. Let me pause right there to give you some explanation of what is happening. Stars, oftentimes in Old Testament literature, refer to the leaders of the kingdoms of this world or earth. So Lucifer is saying in his heart, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ascend to heaven above the stars of God or those that God appointed to be leaders of nations and I'm going to set my throne on high or I'm going to try to create the atmosphere by which they have to live under and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. Verse number 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds And I will make myself like the most high. So Lucifer, his game plan was, I know that I cannot stop God's dominion, his authority. So what I'm going to try to do, if God is sitting up here and man is sitting down there, I'm going to try to ascend above the leaders into this space and try to, with noise and distraction, cause miscommunication and misrepresentation between God and his people. He's going to try. Here's what he did in the the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1. Did God really say that? And so he is just an old serpent doing the same tricks over and over and over again. And right now, this war that we have is in the atmosphere. It's below God. God's above all. Look to your neighbor and say, God's above all. all. According to Scripture, the enemy's plan was, I know that I can't stop God but I'm going to try to create mass confusion. I'm going to try to be the great interrupter. I'm going to be the gr- great liar. And I'm going to try to seat myself in a position to where if people don't know my tricks, they will be deceived. Verse number 15. But you are brought down to Sheol or hell to the far reaches of the pit. Verse number 16, think about this. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. And this is the question that people will will ask of of Satan or Lucifer. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Like one day when it gets revealed to you how low Satan or Lucifer is, you're going to go, him? He caused all this destruction? He caused all this, this, this problems? Who made the world like a desert and overthrow it in cities who did not let his prisoners go home? Because once you understand through scripture, the enemy, his only authority that he has over us is the authority by which we allow. My people are destroyed by what? A lack of knowledge. If, 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 if we have blind spots in our life, that's what the Bible calls, calls deception, if we've got places of deception in our life, that's where the enemy wreaks havoc in our life. And so we have to know, listen, listen we have to know in the church, people are not our enemies. The mindsets and the strongholds and the places of deceptions or the blind spots in our life are. And so we never attack people, we attack the the blind spots or the deceptions in people so that they can be freed to be the people that God's created them to be. Here his plan was, to set himself between God and man or to control the atmosphere. Or to try to make so much noise and confusion that man doesn't know who to trust or what to listen to. He knew he couldn't stop the voice of God, so his strategy is to cloud the airways with noise. That's why the Bible says you have to be careful of the, of the uh, worded it like this. Uh, he was in, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in it. There was, a, there was a great fire, but the Lord wasn't. But he came in what? A still small voice. You have to quiet yourself to hear God's voice and you have to get rid of the confusion or the noise that's in your world to be able to listen to the voice of God. Luke chapter 10 verses 18 says this, Jesus was noting the effect of kingdom minded disciples and in Luke chapter 10 verses 18, here's what he says, when you guys were over that region doing what you were doing, taking authority, you ready for this one? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It is possible, it is possible as a church to tell the enemy with our life and our actions, with a convergence of the word of God and the tangible presence of God, it is possible that the rulers that rule over Grants Pass and Josephine County, it is possible to unseat them when we take the authority that we have in Christ. It's possible. When people think of Josephine County, it doesn't have to be drug addiction. It doesn't have to be homelessness. It doesn't have to be divorce and remarriage. It doesn't have to be prodigal children. It doesn't have to be relational dissension. It doesn't have to be all of the things that the enemy tries to do in churches and in relationships. We have the ability, knowing with what we know, the authority that we have to see Satan who is seated in places of principalities and powers. It's possible for us to cast him down. Luke chapter 10 verses 18 says... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's that's the kind of effect that I want to have as a kingdom-minded disciple. And you have to get out of the the temporal, earthly mindset of everyone's got to come to our church, and everyone's got to be part of what we're doing, and everyone's got to like what we're doing. No, that is kingdom, that is earthly-minded believers that are in survival mode. When I don't know about you, but if you were to add up all the attendance of churches in Josephine County, Put every church in the mix. There is probably 10% of people, 15% of people that actually go to church every Sunday. That will tell you that there are 85% of people that need to know Jesus, that need a church home to be a part of, that need to get off their mind off of living fleshly desires. There is more than enough people in this world, in this region, for this church to actually be full every Sunday morning, to actually impact the kingdom of God in a positive way. But you got to know who you are. Look to your neighbor and say, you got to know who you are. Here's what Luke chapter 10, verses 19 through 20 says. So after Jesus says, hey, when you guys were, were taking authority, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Here's what he says in the next two verses. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Verse number 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What, what we do in the church is we find this newfound authority and we start all of these ministries and they're wonderful. But Jesus is saying make sure that the main thing stays the main thing. Don't start chasing after signs and wonders, don't start chasing after deliverance ministries, don't start chasing after all of these things that are wonderful but making sure that your priorities are in line, that you know that your names are written in heaven. In other words, you're not citizens of earth. We're just passing through. Look to your neighbor and say, we're just passing through. I'm just passing through. Heaven, Vacaville's not my home. Grants Pass is not my home. Heaven's my home. And when I know where, I, where I'm heading, I can look at the things that are in this earth and go, hey, I want to take you with me you that are, that are struggling with that addiction, are you in, in trouble in that marriage, are you trying to raise your kids straight in a crooked world? I want you to know that we, we have a destination that we're going to. And instead of looking like our, our temporary location, let's look at our eternal location and say, what does heaven look like? I want to look like heaven. I want to, I want to, I want to look like what heaven looks like. The fight is then for the atmospheres in our homes, church, lives, countries, and regions. So we know that the enemy has placed an environment or an atmosphere. Look, can I get a little bit just in culture today? How can pornographic books be defended by school boards all over the nation? How, how is it that we can see such evil being displayed in our nation that that is to be founded and was founded upon the principles found in the word of God? Why? It's because we have allowed the enemy to begin to take over the atmosphere of our nation, of our region, of our church. And enough Christians have stayed quiet. We, we have, we have run, from the, run from the fight in trying to gain a little bit of influence there and a little bit of influence there. It's not that we don't actually come out against them. We just don't say anything. We, we just read part of Scripture, not all of Scripture. But the moment that you start picking and choosing what scripture that you can read out of, you lose the transforming power of the gospel. you realize the gospel is transforming? It will change your life. It, it, will, take you, it will take you from having a family tree that is, that is mired in drugs and alcohol and divorce, and it will set you on a solid rock of a ground. It will change the trajectory of your future and your family forever. What an incredible thing that is. I have some of my family here, my, my aunt and my uncle. Alan and Becky, they, 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 they knew my dad before Jesus. And, and now they're here back in the, in the kingdom of God because why? We recognize that when we, try, when we try to do what the world wants us to do and live by the flesh, there's destruction at the end of it. But when you stand on a solid rock that is Jesus, atmosphere begins to change. How can leaders all over the world send sons and daughters to endless wars? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question when you look at the horizon of of my son, who is now 18 years old, doesn't know a nation that's not been at war. Over the last nine presidents in America, only one has not entered us into a new war. Well, we have this mentality where the enemy, the Bible says in the last days there's going to be this explosion where nation is going to rise up against nation, people group against people group. If you haven't been aware of it until now, we are America is living in a cold civil war. The right versus the left and the left versus the right. And there is a destruction of values. There's a destruction because why? We have allowed the enemy to control the atmosphere of our airwaves. You can't turn on the TV shows anymore today without seeing what we would have considered growing up in the 90s pornographic material. Now those are commercials. The slipping. Like I'm old enough to remember when, when uh, the enemy used someone like Britney Spears who presented her to the, to the nation as a wholesome Disney Channel person. And now when you look at the end of her life, she is just someone that has been used and abused. And we are praying grace and mercy and revival to hit the influencers in our nation, in our world. Because if God can turn them around as a a sign that, hey, the end of the the flesh-led life is destruction. But the moment that you step on the solid rock of Jesus, freedom and life are found. And we've seen generations. I mean, I can list them and it will, it will age me, but you, know, you can see in Britney Spears and Christy Angular, Boys the Men and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. And now, and, and now generations trade their idols as though they, have, they can't look back at the last generation and see what happened. And now we look to people like Taylor Swift or country music. Or we, and pastor, don't talk about those kinds of things right now in church. You lose everybody. What I'm trying to say is those people are not our enemy. They're not our enemy. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into the place where I'm telling you as a pastor what to do or what not to do. That is between you and the Lord. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You listen to your pastor. I will never stand up here to try to be the moral police. Those, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. But what I will tell you is do not be naive of the enemy's devices. When you, when you turn the radio dial on your car or in your truck, you cannot tell me that the music you listen to doesn't affect the atmosphere of your life. You can't tell me that the movies that you allow in your home or watch in your home don't affect the atmosphere of your life. You can't tell me that there's not certain friendships in your life that don't, that don't affect the atmosphere of your life. You can't tell me that, listen, to me, you can't tell me that, that the things that we drink don't affect the atmosphere of our life. And this is me again not being the moral police. It's me as your pastor telling you to be careful what eyes you look at, ears you listen to. Be careful feet where you step. Because he who controls the atmosphere of your life controls the outcome of your life. How can the media moguls inject such evil into the homes of Americans? How can parents allow it? There's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, it's an interesting documentary about the rise of teen suicide. And they can actually bring back the rise of teen suicide that has exponentially grown to the birth of social media, Facebook and Instagram. If you're parents in here, be careful what you allow in your home. I remember if, if, if in my age, Blockbuster Video, how many remember Blockbuster Video? I remember going through Blockbuster Video and there was always that weird room off to the side where there was a closed curtain, you remember that room? And as a, as a kid, I would ask my, my mom or my dad, what's, what's up there? And they were like, stop it, don't even look back there. <laughs> now today, we give our kids a phone and we send them to their room and say, you just go figure it out yourself now. We've allowed the atmosphere that once existed outside of our homes now to be inside of our homes. And so this pastor, Wanted you to know, you have to be careful, you have to be careful about the things that you allow in your atmosphere. That doesn't mean that we have to be walking around fearful or scared. That doesn't mean that we have to, you know, the Bible talks about in Colossians chapter two, you know, asceticism or or severe religious disciplines. Be careful that you don't allow legalism to rule your life. This is not your pastor saying that if you do X, Y, and Z, then everything else is going to be okay. No, that there is a form of religion and legalism that is oftentimes more deadly than the other way. So you're going to have to, in these last days, listen to me, guard your heart for what you're not going to allow in your home, but also don't be so legalistic to think that it's because you do things, those things that everything's going to be okay. You're going to have to learn how to walk this thing out decision by decision. My oldest son, Jaden, he's in junior high. And he gets in the car. I think I told this story before. He gets in the car and he said, Dad, how do we know the God that, that we're worshiping is the true one God? And just as he asked that question, the Holy Spirit gave me a word of knowledge for my son. Just, just as he was talking about it, gave me a word of knowledge. And I said, son, it was in so-and-so's class. And you have to know about that man and what he's been going through. And he goes, how did you know? And I go, the Holy Spirit just told me. You have to trust the Spirit of God in the, listen to me, not in just the major decisions of your life, but in the, in the small details of your life. Those of you that are sending kids to public schools, there is the darkness of decay that your kids are living under. They are hearing things that you never wanted them to hear. They're seeing things that, that you never wanted them to see. But just if you're sending your kids to uh, public school, there's a darkness of decay that you have to worry about. If you're sending your kids to private school or homeschool or Christian school, you can also have the alternative darkness, which is the darkness of I'm okay. You guys listening to the wisdom? No matter where you place yourself, there is wisdom that it's going to take. I remember, I remember growing up, and my dad would say, "I would, I would, I would say, hey, I want to go to so and so's house in the church," and my dad would say, "No, I don't, I don't think so." And I'm like, "Well, they're up on stage, they're they're doing this and that." And my dad would say, "No, I just, I just no." And as a young man, I could, I could not even fathom why my dad wouldn't let me go to X person's house in the church. They are in the church until I get older and notice that every one of those kids that were raised in the church we raised in a, in a kind of environment that, that allowed them to question everything and now all of the kids have been raised and grown up out of the church are away from the Lord. You, listen, you have to understand that there is a war just because you're in church. Am I getting too deep a week before Christmas season? <laughs> you have to know that atmosphere is everything and you can trust the Holy Spirit in your life to direct you and your family and yours. But you have to get rid of the noise and you have to be able to turn your ear and listen to him. The best thing that you can do is turn the news off. Turn the cable off. Find yourself before the Lord. Change the atmosphere with worship music being played. Do whatever you have to do to create an atmosphere where his Holy Spirit becomes a part of your life. Because atmosphere is everything. And I I came here to tell you this morning, it's the fight over the atmosphere of your life. It's these if moments, these crossroad moments that might seem insignificant, but they determine the outcome of so many battles in our life. If moments include things like this, the things that I will allow to lead me other than Jesus. My job, my kids, my spouse, my church, those are very important things but they're not the most important things. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I, our, our board has so much wisdom and, and I, I can listen to the counsel of the board and which we do, wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But if I give my spouse or my board or my close friends first shot at my ear rather than the Holy Spirit, I'm not doing you uh, correctly. He's, he's gotta be the source of all of us. And what, if I tune my ear to what he's saying to me, most likely what he is saying to me is what he's going to be telling the board or telling my spouse or telling my close friends because God is a God of confirmation. He's not going to leave you out on an island alone wondering what his direction and what his will is. But, but I have to allow in those if moments Jesus to lead my life and my priorities must be in a correct order. If moments include The things that I allow in the atmosphere of my life, movies, music, drinking, friendships, podcasts. Listen to me, if you're under 40 years old, you got to be careful with podcasts. You do not know the advice that someone's giving you or the result of the advice that someone's giving you because you can't see their life in action. Do you understand what I just said? Like, not nod your head if you under, If I need to explain. Do you understand? So many times we'll get the advice of someone that we do not really know what's happening behind closed doors. You, you have to learn to make sure that to the degree that someone is present and visible in your life, that's the amount of, of, of wisdom that you actually allow from them. Now, can God use podcasts or preachers? 100%. Can God use other worship teams? 100%. But they must be confirming of what the Word of God is saying in and through your life. you got to be careful of the news and the radio. Here's what I am not saying. What I am not saying is that you must follow my version of atmosphere setting. This is important for you to understand. I I admittedly, over the last couple of years, have told you that I grew up in an environment like most 90s kids where I'm a recovering legalist. Does everyone understand what that is? I mean, we didn't go to certain movies or go to the bowling alley or, or we didn't, there was, legalism oftentimes comes on the backside of a genuine move of God where you start playing like you're doing good but your heart's really far from God. So you gotta be careful. This is what I'm not saying to this church. What I'm not saying to the people that I'm pastoring is I'm not saying that you must follow my version of atmosphere setting. I'm not saying this because Pastor Jay and Brooke don't drink that you shouldn't drink. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not saying that just because we we've, we we have don't listen to secular music that you shouldn't listen to secular music. You guys nod, nod your head if you understand what I'm trying to say. I, I am not trying to be the moral police, but what I am telling you is this, is you better be careful the atmosphere that you are setting in your home, and as long as you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I've taken this before the Lord, I've taken this before his word, and I trust that God's going to speak to me. There are some of you that should never touch an, another drop of alcohol in your entire life. Those of you that struggle with addiction, those of you that struggle with you know, certain things, you should run from those things. There, but there are some of us in the, in the church that, that the Bible doesn't teach abstinence of alcohol. It, it teaches moderation of alcohol. But then you start getting to where you start parsing lines, like, when am I drunk drunk? After one drink, after, after half a drink, and, and, and as a church, we, we cannot stand behind the pulpit and try to legislate morality. It's a heart thing. And you have to know all across this room, what I am saying is you better know the heart of God and what you are allowing in your, your life. Don't be the master of someone else's life and and be unaware of the things that you struggle with. Last week's lesson was, The enemy likes to sail the winds of of our our presuppositions. The things that we're... Spouses know this very well. My wife knows the areas of my life where I have a, a tendency to struggle. I watched it in my father. I've watched it in myself. You know, when I... As long as I have clear direction and know what God's asked for me, there is nothing that will stand in this man's way. When things start to get foggy, And I'm starting to question, like, am I doing You'll find me in bed till 9 o'clock on a Saturday, trying to figure it out. And my wife will come in the room, and she'll just say something really nice like this, like, get up, you weak man. It's time to get up. Seek God. (laughs) You know where the answer's at. Answer's not in bed. Get your butt out of bed. I watched my dad as a business owner. He He would get millions of dollars in work. And, and when the moment that he would hit a snag and, and he'd have so much work but not enough crews and ability to handle it, he would go in this like, I don't really know the way out. You, you have to know the things that you battle with. Because that's where the enemy tries to fan the flame of tr- trying to come against you. I'm going to pause right here because sometimes I go too fast. I have about 10, 10 or 15 more minutes of, of your attention span, so I'm going to... Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the exposing that you're doing of the enemy over people's lives right now. Father, we, we want to be all in with you, all in together. We thank you that, that we're going to see Satan fall like lightning from this area. That Josephine County is not going to be known for drugs or homelessness or or addiction, or, or relational distress, but Josephine County is going to know, be known as a place of restoration and health and life. That people all over the nation are going to come here to get respites and spend time in your presence. And it's going to be a place, Father, where people are going to come from the nations, but, Father, from this place, people are going to be sent to the nations. We thank you for the exposing of what you're doing in the enemy's hand of what he's trying to do over many churches and many ministries over many many times in this valley. But Father, we thank you that we're seated with you above all. The authority that you've given us is the same authority that you gave Christ when he was risen from the dead. Father, we thank you for what you're doing live and in front of our eyes. You're growing us. Father, I feel this church is growing this morning. We're exposing the enemy. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as I get ready to wind down, talks about these if moments, and this scripture should be on the screen for you. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, verse number 3, if You call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding. For if you will seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, and he stores up success for the upright. If can be used as a condition. If you go, I'll go. It can be used as an even though. I'll do it even if no one else does. It can be used as a weather. He asked if I knew how to play basketball. The if moments are crucial moments in the life of believers because in places of transition, how you handle if moments will determine success or defeats in life. I'm watching my oldest son, and and I know he's probably watching online, um, but like I always tell him privately son I'm proud of you publicly I'm watching this 18 year old young man get moved in between his junior and senior year now he's trying to figure out what he's called to do and there's been moments the last couple couple months where he's he's in the wrestling you ever been in the wrestling before like, not sure what I'm supposed to do, but I know God's got a call in my life, and I'm just, in the, in the meantime, I'm just going to stand. I'm going to serve my church. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to go to a rogue. I'm going to have two jobs. I'm just going to do it all because that's what young people do. And I'm going to I'm going to just, the if moments. And the truth is, is that our church is at an if moment. We're at a crossroads. You individually, you guys understand what I'm talking about when you come to those crossroads where you go, oh God, I know there is something more but it doesn't feel like I've had the ability to to attain it. You're like uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? There was an if moment. We we all know that, of course, Jesus wanted to set him free, but this man didn't know. And he said, if. Notice what he called Jesus. He didn't call Jesus uh, not just Savior, not just Teacher, but what did he call him? He called him Lord. Notice he realized the season that he was in. If you are willing, the outcome was out of his hands. He knew that he needed to go to the place where the if moment could be answered correctly. And then notice his statement of faith. It came as a question. Can you make me clean? He knew the answer, but left it up to the Lord for the outcome. There's powerful truths whenever you read the gospel accounts in these if moments. Because the if moments that you will find in Scripture are oftentimes the key to unlocking great truths in your own life. Let me give you another one in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Ready for this one? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if you will turn aside, verse number 19, then I will pluck you up. If moments that we face as generations, as cultures, as churches, as regions, as individuals, it's in these if moments, the battle's outcome is oftentimes up for grabs. What or who will become your source in the if moments of life? When the doctor gives you a battle report, whose report are you going to believe? When... When it looks like in the scoreboard of your life, you're losing, but when the Bible says if you've done all you know what you know how to do, then just stand there for What are you going to do in those if moments? When, when you're in the if moments, what will you anchor yourself to? Three, What is the final? what is your final answer when facing the if moments? So the end of answering the if moments correctly is a promise that he will store up success for you I believe Parkway that God has been storing up success for you I believe that there's blessings that you're not even aware of that are coming your way there's, there's above all we can even ask or think I believe that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above it all but Proverbs number 2 Gives us a game plan on how to win the if moments. Brooke, if you would come back to the keyboard. First is this is you better accept his words. You have to accept his words for yourself, no matter what, because being a Christian by definition is being Christ-like, not you-like. What God says trumps my own opinions or feelings or past experiences. What God says. Proverbs chapter 2 says, In the if moments, you're going to have to learn how to accept his words. The second thing that you're going to have to learn how to do is you're going to have to learn how to store up his commands. Give yourself to being a saver of his words. Don't be forgetful of the things that you've learned, especially when it matters most, usually when you're wanting to do the wrong thing. I sat my 18 year old son down, like many people in this room, and said, Son, If you just start saving when you're 18, open up a Roth IRA and you just start putting in, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month, by the time you get my age, you won't be in the predicament that I'm in. How many has had that conversations with their kids? If you just do it, if you just store it up. Son, if you just store it up. My son walks in the house last week and he goes, yep, put a whole $25 this month in my Roth IRA. Mr. Moneybags himself. Isn't it funny that when you start storing up, it's the difference between righteousness and sin. Sin allows you to pay a price and reap immediately. That's why the Bible says sin is fun for a season. But righteousness is you sow a seed and you don't really get to see the outcome. But one day, but one day when you you get to live out a dream and be a lead pastor, when the doctor said that she wasn't going to live, and dreams were getting ready to, to crumble. One day you'll look at your wife when she's singing it as well. One day when you store them up. One day when they when the doctor said Jaden was never going to be able to walk again, put him in a wheelchair. He's going to be an invalid for the rest of his life. But one day he'll be an intern at the church that you're lead pastoring, and he'll be lifting up his hands every Sunday. One day. One day, Jace. What? One day, Jace, you know, when, um, comes out blue and he's not, he's not living and the, and the, the hospital room was crazy and I put my hand on his little forehead. And I said, the promise shall live and shall not die. And he took his first little mighty breath and that kid has not stopped talking since. And when you see him and, and you know, you know, my son, when he's locked in worship, he is just the greatest worshiper. One day when you store up righteousness, Man, it's a beautiful thing. Store up his commands. The third thing that Proverbs chapter 2 teaches us is you're going to have to learn how to direct your heart. Your heart, by its nature, wants to do the wrong thing. But listen to me. A truth found in Scripture is that you can direct your heart. Your feelings do not have to run you, you can run your feelings. Heart, be joyful. Heart, when it seems like everything is going against you, I stand upon God's word. God, I'm right now in an if moment, but I'm going to praise before my breakthrough. I'm going to march around my walls of Jericho before they fall down. God, I'm going to learn to praise you in all seasons and all ways. Four things you have to do in Proverbs chapter 2. You have to call out for insight you have to be vocal and intentional about being a disciple of Jesus. The Bible says in James, if any of you lack wisdom, you can ask because he gives liberally. The fifth thing that you must do is you must seek it like a treasure. The best thing that I can teach new Christians in this room, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Learn how to be a seeker, not seeker-sensitive. Learn how not to care about the person, to left or right of you. Be like that woman who knew, I just got to touch the hem of his garment. Because when you're a seeker, if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. You have to think like Gold Rush. This can change your life forever. Ready for this? Millions of tons of dirt for thousands of ounces of gold, but when you seek it, the gold found in His word will change your life forever. Sixth thing that you must do is then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Fear not being scared of God, but having a respect and a reverence for Him. It's what happened during this worship moment this morning his sweet presence came in this room and I just looked up to the heaven and I said Lord thank you thank you for being here with our church today because the answer is found when I know the difference maker that is your word the truthfully applied word of God in my life and the tangible presence of God in my life when those things converge revival begins to happen The seventh and final thing. Then you will discover the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but when my dad and my mom bought me new pairs of shoes, I remember playing basketball. My parents weren't the richest, but when I was playing basketball, I would always say, I want the Jordans. And uh, they would go out and buy me the $130 pair of shoes. And then the moment I got a job, they would all, my dad would always joke with me. He said, just get the XJ 900s. If you don't know what the XJ 900s are, they're the Payless version of the Jordans. And so I had a pair of XJ 900s and a pair of Jordans and Jordans I would only wear at game time. And then the XJ 900s I would wear and the Payless shoes were, you know, 25 or 30 bucks at the time. And I'll, I'll never forget when I got my first paycheck and I needed to go buy my own pair of shoes. You learn how to cherish. You learn how to cherish when it's you that's doing the seeking. Right now, many of you come to church and you're living off of the atmosphere that someone else has sought after. But do you know the same atmosphere that's in our church when we worship can be the same atmosphere that's in your home? But you have to cherish it more than gold, more than silver. More than anything else in this world, one of my favorite things to do, uh, my wife usually wakes up a little bit before me. And she's usually got the house atmosphere set before I even wake up. And there's worship music playing, her Bible's open, and I get to open up my eyes. He's already in our home. His presence is all already there. The best thing that I can, I can teach you today, this, this Sunday morning, is there's an enemy that's trying to cause interruption in your life. But seated above him is the name that's above every name. And when you say secret password, Jesus, the enemy has to shut up and leave. And it's in those spaces the great difference-makers of our life, where when we... I can still see my childhood pastor, Pastor Hood, he was a great Bible teacher, and he would get in moments just like this, and he would stick his Bible over his head like this. He would say, Lord, let it soak in. I don't think it works like that, but we can try it. Lord, let it soak in. This gets rooted into our hearts. And it's not a dead word, it's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Hey listen, God's no respecter of persons and if he's done it before, he'll do it again. And if he's done it in your life before, maybe you've walked away. You can run a million steps away from God, but it only takes you one step to get back. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The beautiful picture of, of where you're at right now is he's the God of restoration I just have a few more moments of, of your time and I want to take this final few moments that we have and I want this month of word of teaching to get on the inside of you to get on the outside of you to get all around you and as we worship just, just one or maybe one or two songs or we'll see what the Lord has I want you to, I want to invite you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And maybe ask him a question like this. Well, what about my atmosphere? What about about what's happening in my life? What about the atmosphere that I set in my car? I don't know about you, but the more that I get with the Lord, it's like, I, I know I probably have permission to do so. It's not probably, it's not a legalistic thing to say, but I could probably watch some movies with cussing in it. Good war movie. And every time I sit down, I get like two or three words in there and there's just something like doesn't, doesn't sit right with me in my spirit. It's the weirdest thing. It's not like it's a salvation issue for me. Like I know God loves me. You guys, you guys understand that? Like I know he loves me. I'll watch a scary movie and it's like, I watched a scary movie, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I got about, I don't know, past the introduction scenes and I was like, nope. Because there's just something about that atmosphere that just didn't set well with the presence of God in my life. And I just, I wanna invite you to have the conversation. It's gonna be a conversation that you're gonna have with a family. What about the atmosphere in my life? Is it an atmosphere based upon his principles and his word and his tangible presence of God? Or is it an atmosphere that's been set by the world? You do not have to let the chaos of out there run the chaos of your own life. We are seated above all principalities and powers and we've got the secret word, Jesus. He's a God of restoration. Would you guys stand to your feet this morning? My wife is going to lead us in a song. Yes, Father. of you. there are people standing here who have been under a cloud of chaos in your life and Jesus is speaking to you come and let me clear that fog from your life and bring to you a freedom that you have been searching for I will not fail you I'm just calling you into my presence, that I may work in your life and remove the shackles of chaos that has been in your life. I give you the freedom. Come to me. Yes, yes yes you're here this morning the word of the Lord has just come it says if you've been living under a cloud of, of chaos and confusion that you just need to come just need to come towards him and that's not even just a location up front it could be right where you're seated say pastor that's me I, I need God to restore some things in my life some clarity needs to come if that's you just shut stretch up your hands so I can see it is that anybody in this room yeah hands hands going up yes See your hands up there? Yes. Yes, hands are everywhere. The rest of us, would we just create an atmosphere of, of, of worship? And we're gonna give some space, just just a little bit of space, for these people to say, Lord, I welcome your clarity in my life. Come on, would you stretch up your hands towards heaven as our focus goes it. to him?
1: I yes. see the evidence of your good.